Well, um, I want us to have a look at the question, um, what to do with the New Testament use of uh, the Old Testament. So um, this is kind of an interactive sermon where um, I want you to uh, learn a skill in how to read the Bible kind of carefully. So not only just read it on, on your own, but as you read it with others. Um, and also help you be a bit more discerning as you engage um, with what various Christians say here um, and there. And so it's not going to be, I'm going to preach a passage and apply it to your lives kind of thing. That will be later. And the passages we're going uh, to look at actually fit in the, in the kind of slab of, of um, story and scripture that Mikey's going to pre- be preaching on um, later. Cool, so, quotes and citations, they're all around us, Um, they're in books, they're in um, news reports, journal um, entries, articles, um, show notes in podcasts, and I bet you guys have been using them in your essays and papers, is that right? I hope so. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, been quoting away, very good. So, as we pick up the Bible, um, the... New Testament does exactly the same thing. Um, It quotes from the Old Testament all the time. And in fact, the Old Testament quotes from the Old Testament as well. You know what? There is 1,604 citations in the New Testament referring to 1,276 different Old Testament passages. Okay? And then there are 260 chapters in the New Testament. I think there's 260 chapters. Uh, And 229 of them have at least two quotations of a specific reference from the Old Testament. Okay, so that's crazy heaps. But another 19 chapters have one quotation. And so that only leaves 12 chapters in the whole New Testament that doesn't have a New Testament quote. Sorry, an Old Testament quote. So... You would have hit them, or you would have done really well not to. Um, (laughs) uh, So, actually understanding how do we engage with this, because it's just a regular feature, I think is really important. Um, And the book that we're looking at, um, Isaiah, is actually one of the most quoted in the um, New Testament. It's a pretty kind of heavyweight um, book. I think the reason why it's really important to uh, know how the New Testament uses the Old Testament um, because at its heart it helps us to understand the meaning of the text. Um, It helps us to know as we um, listen to Peter and we listen to Paul and we read James to actually go well how much do we care? What are they trying to do? What are they trying to get us to focus on? Um, How are they using that? What's the nuance? What's the shade? Um, what are they getting at? Because all of this is us actually understanding um, the meaning of the text and so listening carefully. And I think that um, is what's really helpful for us as we read the Bible ourselves, we hear it preached, um, and also as we explore it with those who don't identify as a Christian as well. We actually know how to help them navigate the scripture and actually know what to do when they hit on one of these. Um, so... So I think it's worth taking the time um, to do this. So, let me ask you guys. When you come across 
a Old Testament quote in the New Testament, what do you normally do? Let me know your thoughts. I'm going to write them down. I'm going to write them in red so it's a bit aggressive. <laughs> Read it. You could say that, Andy. Read it. Notes. Yeah. Like, the, <laughs> so you're launching with a bit of a deep one there. <laughs> That's right. <clears throat> so, do you read it like where it's quoted, or do you go back to the Old Testament and read the whole thing? Oh, look, I try and do a little bit of okay. both. Mm-hmm. You never try and do the same thing too often, as you get. <laughs> <laughs> okay, go back and read the whole thing of where it's from. Great. Um, yeah, so Josh, actually just swinging back to you there, when you say you just read it, like, mm. it is, like you just read it and go, okay, that's nice, and then just keep going. That's yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's helpful. Yeah. And are you saying you go back and read the Old Testament a bit, or you just read it? No, no, quote so in the Shay, New Testament? Shay said I go back and but I was actually meaning you just read it. Like, you guys are like, you don't just skip over it entirely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Don't even realise yeah. it's a quote. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a cool little thing. Okay, yeah, yeah. Came up with it. It's in italics. That's right. What else? What else do you guys do? Sometimes you get a song stuck in your head, it's like a Sunday school song or anything or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's true. Colin Buchanan or something. If it's not much, then if you just sort of don't really think about it, that's actually a helpful thing. Yeah, okay. How about if you were doing it for like a youth talk or you were leading a Bible study and that was a quote? So a slightly different question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So you had to prep it for that kind of teaching. What would you do then, Josh? Google it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do really smart people think about this? <laughs> <laughs> Go on atheist.com. <laughs> Yeah, I think in that situ- sorry, I think in that situation, I would I wouldn't just go back and read in its original context, but I'd try and relate the original thrust of the original context to the thrust of whatever the actual author is trying to do yeah, in the New yeah, Testament. Yeah. yeah, that's good. <clears throat> yeah, and really, like, kind of, in some ways, what's what's the whole point of this in the end is is trying to get this kind of idea. You know, connecting the thrust because that's something you can do with the text. Mm. Yeah. yeah, it's it's obvious stuff, but it, it it's it's really helpful to be aware. Of. Great. Okay. Um, we'll no doubt there's some more. Uh, for, for me, um, I, I've never really um, until coming into kind of ministry, I just sort of read them and just thought they were kind of nice, <laughs> but didn't really do too much um, with them. Uh, yeah. So what I want you guys to do now is um, do some um, reading. We're going to um, zero in on one of the quotes from our passages today. So um, Isaiah 28 and Isaiah 29 is, is the kind of little slab of scripture. But we're just going to, for brevity's sake and kind of, I think, going deeper, we're just going to look at um, Isaiah 28. So um, also I've picked Isaiah 28 because... The Old Testament quote that's found in the New Testament is, is just a little bit more random and just a little bit more left left field. And so I thought it'd be fun to just kind of do that. 
um, rather than one which you'll probably read and go, oh yeah, I kind of get that. This one hopefully will make you work a little bit more. Um, so um, turn up 1 Corinthians 14 um, and just maybe with a, the person kind of near you, little group around you, just read um, verses 1 to 25. 1 Corinthians 14, 1 to 25. And so as you go through that, maybe just think kind of what's the argument, what are the issues, um, how do you think this Old Testament reference is being used. Um, we'll jot some of those up. Um, so, yeah, turn to the person around you and just read that. That's right, because you were just close what to me. What was the question? And I, what, what was the kind of argument? Did we see an argument? What was the um, what were the main issues or issue at play? Yeah, well, it's talking about um, the spiritual gift of speaking in tongues and the gift of prophecy. Yeah. And so comparing them and where they're best used. Yeah, okay, that's great. Tongues and prophecy and comparing them and best use. Right. Yeah, so that's a, that's a big thing in there. Micah and Josh, what about you guys? Um, so, we were... Yes, um, it was... We talked a great deal about the passage. But not a whole lot about Isaiah 28 reference. There's been a lot of people getting drunk. That's, that's, no, that's fine. <laughs> um, what did you see about the passage? Uh, in the passage, we thought that it was funny how Paul actually stayed on the same thing for like ages, and it was kind of like, tongues are good, but you know what's even better? Being able to prophesy. Yeah. And having people understand you. Mm. And just going, kind of the uniting of spirit and mind. And in fact, if you think tongues are better than prophecy, then stop being an idiot and think because they're obviously not. And then he quotes Isaiah. He really wants to hammer this one in. Um, yes. Stop being an idiot. <laughs> so that verse would be the one before it's like, now, stop thinking like, like, children. like grow yeah, up, yeah, like, stop being stop, children. Yeah. yeah. And, um, yeah, and you're thinking the adults. That's right. If you want to get great. anything out of this passage, just like, stop being an idiot. It's great. Okay, cool. It's a great effort. All of this proceeds from the way of love. Yes. Yeah. Right. What about back corner here? Um, in unintelligibility, um, alienates and turns people away. And, yeah. Um, okay. So it's about like comprehending mm. being, um, and <laughs> maybe something about, yeah, the turning away um, and the turning to, because mm -hmm. you've got like the tongues is turning away, but the prophecy is turning to. Uh, this, the ladies in the corner here. <laughs>
talking about like the support and like the kind of self-beneficial side of speaking in tongues, but how the one who prophesies edifies the church. I think that's that's pretty good to be to be getting an idea. Does anybody now want to have a stab at the Old Testament verse? Does anyone reckon they can go? Ah, oh, I think this is what Paul means. It doesn't have to be right, but like, if you've got any thoughts on it, that would be good. Can I say something I'm confused about? Yeah. Um, so in the Old Testament passage, I'll just read it. It says, Very well then, with foreign lips and strange tongues, God no, no, read the Old Testament passage yet. Don't do it. We're getting there soon. Well, I have a question as well, and it's related to the New Testament passage. Okay, because my confusion is how, how the application in the New Testament passage is directly related to the Old Testament passage. Because it seems like it's saying something different to what it yes, is saying in that's, the Old Testament. That's awesome, and that is what we're going to move on to in just a second, which is great. So, verse um, 22, so we talked about how, like, tongues are way to find for unbelievers, right? Yeah, that's, that's, like, that's the general fit, fit of what we've been saying. So, you know, 22. prophecy is better for unbelievers because they can understand it, but yeah, it's tongues yeah, yeah. for believers. And then 22, tongues are a sign for unbelievers, not for believers. Yeah. Isn't that opposite to what we've been saying? Yeah, so that's very surprising, isn't it? Like, verse 22 is like... Oh, so it's talking about that? something a bit different there, maybe? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, the Corinthians seem to think that tongues is for believers, but Paul's like... No, it's for unbelievers. Yeah. Um, and so there's a, there's a, which then kind of when you hear that quote, could be something to do with what you're saying. It's like, oh, what does that, how does that compute? Um, yeah, so there's a bit of a switch that takes place there. Um, okay, great. All right, that's really good. Well done. All right. So let's let's pick up what Leia was saying and let's try to get an idea of how um, the Old Testament is used in the New Testament. So let's begin with the lens, okay? So the New Testament writers firstly were Jewish, um, apart from like Luke, he was Greek, but you know, he writes on Jew. Um, and so they, um, they were influenced and they took up their kind of Jewish methods of interpretation. Uh, even Paul, um, you know, he uses his rabbinic um, techniques um, in all of his teaching as well. So from their kind of vantage point of salvation, uh, the New Testament Bible writers um, use these traditional Jewish um, kind of practices that I'll explain shortly. Um, as the way of interpreting um, the Old Testament, but they do it now from within a Christocentric perspective. Okay, they do it from a Christocentric perspective. That is a Christ-centered view, a Jesus-oriented um, perspective. Okay. Um, that's what Jesus taught himself. So that's what Jesus taught them to do, because that's what Jesus did himself. Um, and that's actually now what he calls you and I to do. It's the lens 
through which we read all of the New Testament is that it's through Christ because he is fulfillment to the promise. He is the reality of the shadow. Um, where do we get this from? Well, one verse particular is when um, Jesus is um, walking along the road with some disciples after he's raised and he said to them, how unwise and slow you are to believe in your hearts all that the prophets have spoken. Didn't the Messiah have to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. So um, that is the first, um, first point. The big picture is to go, we understand anything um, in relation um, to Jesus. Okay? Um, the hyperlink. Um, so Old Testament passages um, are read Christocentrically, but they're designed like a hyperlink, kind of like the blue um, writing that you'll have like in, a, in an email or um, in a letter or whatever it is. And so they're designed um, a bit like Shay was sort of, I uh, know, um, Josh, no, whoever it was that said you go back and read the whole thing, I forgot it now, um, that you click on it and it kind of opens up that whole passage or that whole section of the scripture and it's there um, to take you back um, to read it. Um, so as you read 1 Corinthians um, 15, sorry, 14, it's like, oh, I need to just, as part of my reading, I need to not just read the couple of verses, but kind of go, whoop, let's just read the whole chapter, think about that, oh, and then that will just pick up again and continue on. So that's kind of how it's designed um, to do. So again, as you as you read that this with kind of people who aren't Christians, then you can actually help them go, oh, let's just flip back, let's read that, um, let's get some understanding of what's going um, on there. They're wanting um, to send you back to the Old Testament. So, the, so, so as they're in the New Testament, I'll put this in the wrong way. As they have the New Testament quote, they are wanting to send you back to the Old Testament to read it so that then you can be sent back to the New Testament to read it, yeah? So then that way they're, they're enriching each other and they're talking to each other and um, this is interpreting um, this as you read it through uh, the lens of Christ. Cool. So, what are the kind of main Jewish ways in which they read the Old Testament? Well, this is the category <coughs> I want us to just take um, 10 minutes to go through. And then when we've gone through them, we'll then read our Isaiah 28 passage. And then we'll begin to hopefully see um, some, some of the kind of richer connections. So the first one is literal prophecy plus literal fulfillment. Now, I kind of call this, and you guys can come up with better ones if you like, the, ah, it happened just as the prophecy foretold use. Okay? So, ah, <laughs> it happened just as the prophecy foretold. So, you get this idea in the movies. Lego movies. One day, a talented lass or fellow, a special one with face of yellow, will make the peace of resistance found from its hiding refuge underground. And with a noble army at the helm, this master builder will thwart the craggle 
and save the rail and be the greatest, most interesting, most important person of all time. All this is true because it rhymes. <laughs> so that is a literal prophecy and then that literally um, comes to be. So um, when the Old Testament does this, it um, speaks of um, uh, literally of a specific event that will be in the future. Um, a specific event in the future. And so when, when that specific event is literally fulfilled in the context of the New Testament, the New Testament quotes a particular prophecy as a point-by-point fulfillment, okay? Um, and, and my opinion on this would be that they're, they're pretty much the ones that are just fully fulfilled, like they're fulfilled, they're like kind of won't happen again. <laughs> um, they're done. Um, and so you'll get this with the example, for instance. So um, I'll read Matthew to you. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son. They will name him Emmanuel, which is translated God um, with us. So Matthew here is quoting from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, uh, which says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel. Now the context of Isaiah 7.14 is speaking, um, sorry, is uh, predicting that when the Messiah is born, he will be born of a virgin. That's the literal meaning of Isaiah's words to Ahaz as he's inspecting the aqueducts. So in Matthew, when we arrive at the end of his recount of the family line of David, we have recorded an actual virgin who will give birth to the Messiah. So here is the literal fulfilment of the literal prophecy. It's the, ah, it happened just as the prophecy foretold. <laughs> and so the passage is quoted, right? Um, and that's why I would say that won't happen again. Like that is point for point is done. <laughs> so that's the first one. What's your thoughts on how helpful that is to know, to know that, to start with, that some of the Old Testament quotes are, are literal, because presumably, as we're going to hear, some of them aren't. <laughs> um, any initial thoughts on how that might apply to us as we read the Bible or as we explore it with others? What would happen if you, if you read all of the Old Testament quotes like this? You get very confused. Yeah, you would. Um, and, and we might giggle a little, but like lots of people do. Lots of people will, will read literal to literal. Like if you read that passage, which is clearly not, the Corinthian one is clearly not literal to literal, then you'll, you'll be left going, oh, but now I'm looking for that. When, when was it? When was it in Jesus's life? Or when will it be in time and space and history when this literal, literal thing will happen? Um, and that's where you can begin to slide into charts and and times and, and creating all these kind of um, sections of epochs in your Bible and things like that. That's where that can begin to slide um, into. I think it can also just um, 
disheartening you as well um, because you're left you're left kind of going ah oh, there only seems to be like a few points where Jesus is fulfilled um, and then it can be really hard to then figure out how Jesus fits in in all the other quotes um, so you you end up just holding to the literal quotes as we're finding how Jesus makes sense of the New Testament and then kind of any of the other quotes you're left going well I don't know I don't know how does the rest of the Old Testament make any sense um, so that can begin to happen and I think the last little point on this is for though when you're reading with those who aren't Christians I think actually it can be a really good evidence towards um, that hey look it was prophesied 800 years before and then this actually happened isn't that like strange um, but yet cool and unusual and so actually knowing these literal fulfillments I think can be a really good way of evidencing um, how clearly Jesus is the fulfillment how clearly the New and Old Testament are connected how it's one unfolding story um, those kind of notes as well um, so that can sometimes be very helpful for those who are exploring the Bible Right, the second category. Okay, literal plus um, typical or type. This is what I call the... Ah. It's a type of what was before. So, ah, it's a type of what was before. If you guys can come up with better ones, let me know. Um, okay, I'll tell you what I mean. Uh, I'll read some Matthew to you. But you say, whoever tells his father or mother, whatever benefits you might have um, received from me is a gift committed to the temple, he does not have to honour his father. In this way, you have revoked God's word because of your traditions. Hypocrites. Isaiah prophesied correctly about you when he said this. These people honour me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain, teaching as doctrines the commands of men. They are thrown back to my um, will, um, and end of quote, the doctrines of men. Okay, so with this verse, we're actually thrown back to Isaiah 29, which is the chapter uh, next. Um, and let me read to you the, the quote from Isaiah 29. It says, The Lord said, because these people approach me with their mouths to honour me with lip service, yet their hearts are far from me, and their worship consists of man-made rules learned by rote. Therefore, I will again confound these people with wonder after wonder. The wisdom of the wise men will vanish and the understanding of the precepts will be hidden. So the context of Isaiah 29 is speaking of an historical event um, where the people of the southern kingdom are rejecting um, the um, prophetic word of Isaiah. So people, so Jerusalem, um, which is the heart of worship, which is the heartland um, of, um, of the covenant, um, they are rejecting the word of Isaiah. Now, just interestingly, as a side note, our passage that we'll look at in Isaiah 28 is addressing the northern kingdom. So Isaiah 28 is the northern kingdom, and then in 29 we move to the southern kingdom. So the literal meaning of Isaiah 29.13 deals with Israel's rejection of the prophet. And so Israel's rejection of um, the prophetic word becomes a type, a kind of patterned refrain, if you like, a, 
and a set picture form that has significance, a type. That type then of Israel's rejection of the prophetic word is seen in the rejection of the prophetic word of Jesus, the Messiah. And so as that scene, the Old Testament is quoted. So Jesus recalls this literal time in this moment of God's people rejecting him as he's confronted um, with, interestingly, these Pharisees and these scribes who have come from Jerusalem. (laughs) So we're dealing with a very similar situation here. (laughs) And they've come from the heartland They've come from the heart of worship. They're the leaders. The leaders are the ones being addressed in Isaiah. And so we've got a type scene taking place here. Um, And so we go, ah, it's a type of what was before. Okay. Now, if you want more examples of that, you can basically just read Hebrews. And that's where we begin to see all those kind of ideas of the tabernacle, of the sacrificial system, of the Arianic priesthood, the Melchizedekian priesthood. These are all those types, or to put it another way, a bit like shadows and fulfillments. Okay, shadow and fulfillment. Um, That kind of thing is what is at play here. All right, um, thoughts on why knowing that might be helpful for us reading the Bible? How might it get us in a tangle? How might it um, free us up? How might it help us with reading, though, reading with those who aren't Christians? You can also compare it to these two a bit as well. consistency to the to the text and the scripture and the story yeah yeah so definitely on the human level and then within the story you yeah. kind of actually get to see how connected it is and, yeah and, yeah i think you could say it's a true and observable saying it was true here here mm-hmm. and here yeah in different places in the scripture yeah, I think uh, one I would throw on that it, um, I think it helps us to transition really well from the Old Testament to the New Testament when we actually um, understand type um, and, and shadow and fulfillment when it comes to people who might ask questions like, um, why don't we have priests today? Or what should we do with the Old Testament law? Um, do we need to rebuild the temple or do we need to look to a literal regathering of Israel in Jerusalem at a particular time? Like it actually helps you go, whoop, no, maybe at that point you're doing a bit of a literal read when actually it's, it's painting a, it's painting a type like Jesus is the new temple. So we don't need to go and do this. Yeah. Um, 
I think it also opens up the New Testament, uh, the Old Testament, way more to us. So it keeps us from just going, oh, well, where is Jesus? When we see it here, when we understand there's types of play, we actually begin to go, oh, hang on a second. So much of the Old Testament is about Jesus in this, in this picture, in this theological reality. Um, and so then you begin to actually see the connections and the richness in the New Testament. Okay, so we've had, it's happened just as the prophecy foretold. Um, it's a type of what was before. And now, oh, it's the same as that time when. Um, now, this isn't a literal fulfillment, nor a full um, scale typology, but it's simply an application point because of one point of similarity. Okay. Um, let me read to you um, what Peter says at Pentecost. Now, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God said, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I'll pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs on earth below, blood and fire and billow of smokes. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, the literal meaning of what Joel is saying is in reference to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the whole nation of Israel, resulting in um, supernatural manifestations, right? <coughs> this promised outpouring will cause the whole nation of Israel to be saved in preparation for the establishment of the Messianic Kingdom that's actually spoken of in the next chapter of Joel. So, as a new epoch in salvation history occurs, Peter, witnessing what here is taking place, sees the connection to Joel, and so its application. Here, in the use of the um, quote, the focus and the point is the Holy Spirit being poured, poured out, resulting in manifestations. The Holy Spirit being poured out, resulting in manifestations, which was the speaking of tongues. That led to this address that was actually taking place. And so that's how he's applying it. So we go, oh, it's the same as that time when. Um, yeah, so finds one point of connection um, and then um, applies that. Um, and can I ask you a question on that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why is this not a literal prophecy or a literal fulfillment? Um, yeah, because um, that just seems to be the way he's using it. Um, I think it's not literal simply because when Peter gets up and quotes it, where's the fire? Where's the billows of smoke? Where's the all the stuff that is going on around it? The moon, I don't know, the moon turns something. Um, none of that happens. And so we have to go, aha, uh -huh. well, Peter's going, well, he's seeing this in Joel, and he, then he's seeing this, and he's going, oh, well, I'm going to apply the pouring of the Spirit and manifestations, because in Joel it's about basically something so crazy and big and unusual is going to happen, it's going to be like, it's going to be mental, it's going to be like the, the, the moon's going to go like this and this is going to happen. And so 
there, there's that um, it, Joel's been said in that way so when he sees something so incredible and new and different with the promised spirit he goes this is the pouring out thing mm. um, the tongues of fire and the speaking God's word I think is essentially going oh that's the crazy signs that we're going to see actually <laughs> mm. um, yeah so I think that's that's what's going on I mean I guess you could argue a case otherwise, but I think when you read Peter, he's clearly just applying it to this situation. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Dave? Would you say it's, but it's a bit more vague? Uh, so, in ter- so the literal prophecy is this will literally happen, and it literally happens. Yeah. Um, but then with your Joel one, it sounds a lot more... Yeah, dream, look, dream, look, 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 it's not, I mean, yeah, it's not neat and tough, because there's literal facets of it, okay. you know, of course. Um, but I think when you read the, I, I think, then you basically go, what category does it fit, does it fit in? Uh, what is Paul or Peter or whoever trying to do? Um, because you might read it and go, oh, no, it really does seem literal, literal. Um, but to what extent do you go, oh no, he's just making a single point, actually, um, because there's all these other factors happening that means it can't be this, or it can't be this, or it can't be that. Um, yeah, that's all I can really say. So that, that's just where kind of discernment comes in, um, because it's not always super clear, um, and that's where I think if, if at least you've got these ideas in your head, it will, it will steer you in the right direction. Um, uh, yeah. What's your awe statement for this one? Uh, yeah, yeah, I haven't written that down. Um, Is it, uh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, oh, yeah, it was... Um, oh, it's just like that time before. That time when. Uh, oh... <laughs> yeah, the was missing with the character oh, after it's prophecy, just like... Oh, yeah. Sorry, go Shaq. I think the Bible could do with like a character after each reference. It's like, oh, it's just like that. You know, just to sort of explain it to the reader. <laughs> that could be good, I think. Something yeah. from the crowd. Oh, yeah. <laughs> just have the short one. So, so, our, so our one is this, right? In Corinthians, it's this. Paul is making a, a point of application. That's what he's doing with it. Um, he's seeing a situation... And he's going, oh, there's this situation, and there was a lesson thing here, and I'm going to now apply that to this setting. Um, all right, and then the last one, um, the last one's super quick. It's just summary. Um, so, pulling that all together. <laughs> um, and that's basically when there's a mashup of a whole load of Bible texts. Um, and it's a, it's a summary there's not one single place where something is said so Jesus took the twelve aside and told them we're going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written by the prophets about the son of man will be fulfilled he'll be handed over to the Gentiles they'll mock him, insult him, spit on him flog him and kill him and on the third day he'll rise there's no single verse for that but it's like well he's kind of just summarising I don't know Isaiah basically <laughs> like that kind of thing um, so that's uh, that's another version that's used that one's very easy um, great okay so now um, what I want you guys to do 
Uh, we've got about 10, 10-ish or so minutes left. Um, have a read of Isaiah 28, uh, and then think about what we discussed in 1 Corinthians. And so we'll share some thoughts on Isaiah 28, and then we'll, we'll kind of just pull them together and see what we can, what we can just learn from, from that. Now, um, so I hear your thoughts, which are sounding excellent. Um, uh, Leah mentioned something which was really helpful, um, and so I just want to share a thought on this, particularly here. Um, but just a reminder, um, there's, with literal prophecy plus literal fulfillment, there's, it, it's usually just one point of fulfillment. Okay? When there's literal plus typical, there may be multiple fulfillments, okay? but it ultimately comes together and finally makes sense in Jesus. And then from Jesus might then come to be applied to us. So like, you have a temple, the meeting place with God. Um, you have a tabernacle, you have the temple, you have rebuilding of the temple, and then you have, you have Jesus, and then in Jesus, because of the gift of the Spirit, we, his people, and his church, are his temple also. So you can, so you can sort of see how that can then be applied to us. Um, then literal plus application... Um, it's often a New Testament writer who is reflecting on a, a prophecy or a, a, an event in, um, in the Old Testament. And so going, oh, there's this thing about that, that time when, oh, now I'm looking at this New Testament thing. Oh, actually it's like that, or it implies that way, or it's that aspect that's happening now. Um, and so, in in this te- in this um, passage, for instance, that's already been fulfilled. Like the prophecy about coming, and you know, this is Assyria coming down and smashing them, and so um, God brings the foreign languages upon them, and so that that's fulfilled. Like that's not going to happen again. So Paul is reflecting on that and going, oh, remember this time? Well, like this in this setting now. Um, whereas the Joel one. It, this is where it gets messy going back to Dave's thing, is to go where he's still reflecting on the prophecy that hasn't come to fulfilment, but it is coming because he's seeing what's happening and going, oh, like that's the thing here. And so this is the main aspect that I want to apply from this prophecy to here, rather than it being a um, point for point, because you don't get a point for point. Um, is, does that clarify it a bit more? Getting some, I'm getting some nods, so that's good. Okay, great. All right, let's hear your thoughts on Isaiah 28. Uh, what, what's maybe an issue there? What's the kind of the argument or scenario that's taking place? Um, and then you begin to share what your kind of connections you see. We'll do that for a few minutes, and then we'll have some morning tea. Micah, kick us off. Oh, you were saying some great stuff. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> now you're on the spot to reproduce that great stuff. That's great. That's um, great. Hearing it. So good. Uh, so what I was thinking was, um, you've got 
for these prophets who appear in this one, they're all getting drunk and getting smashed and then yeah. doing teaching which isn't useful to anyone. Uh, and I think that Paul in 1 Corinthians is kind of drawing back and is like, what, what good is, your teaching is like, when you're speaking in tongues, your teaching is like these um, prophets who are... Uh, just vomiting. Vom- vomiting everywhere. <laughs> <Drunk. Yeah. laughs> it's verbal vomit. <laughs> okay, yeah. Okay. There's an immaturity to it. Mm. Yeah, immaturity is interesting because Paul's like, hey guys, you need to grow up in Corinthians. Don't um, vomit on tables of church. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's that's what <laughs> yeah, So just to speak into that a little bit, this uh, like we we don't often do this because we want to make sure that you guys have confidence in the text because you can have absolute confidence in God's word. But I think something can be translated a little bit better here from the Hebrew um, in verse ten of twenty-eight, which is do do and do do and do rule and rule rule and rule a little here a little there now. The Hebrew is probably more like blah 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 yada 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 um, goo 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 gaga. Like it's that kind of idea of just that kind of baby stupid kind of you know Isaiah's like blah blah blah. blah. It's like baby talk to us. We're not interested in what you're saying, um, Isaiah. So that's when God's like, all right, well I'll talk to you with blah 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 and foreign languages then if you're going to do that. Um, yes. So uh, that hopefully that kind of makes that connection a little bit more clearer, and also when it comes to you know the, the teaching and the way they're speaking <laughs> um, and the way they're acting. All right, what else from Isaiah twenty-eight? That's really helpful. Um, sorry, I just can't read the first word. There, sorry. Oh, sorry, it's prophets. Yeah, I wanted to see any unintelligibility, but it just changed on like I said. Unintelligibility, <laughs> or something like that. That's, that's that's what there's a word for that when something is like you know unintelligible and it's actually then unintelligible. Like, anyway, um, who's doing English? Come on. Well, is that a literal prophecy or is that? A... Uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. So that's a big issue. that's going on there. Unintelligibility. Great. And that's also what is going on here, right? Is unintelligibility. So you can kind of see that you've got leaders going on here. You've got leaders going on here. Um, what else do we, anything else you want to add to this? So uh, Isaiah 28 talks about judgment. Okay, yeah, that's really crucial, yeah, judgment. Okay, so the context of this is judgment. Okay, the speaking unintelligible word is about God's judgment. Because, why is he bringing that judgment? Because they're not listening to God's word. They're rejecting God's word, and that's when you go to 29... It's the same message, but for the northern kingdom, so the southern kingdom, you guys are rejecting. You guys are in the heartland, and you're still saying no to God, um, just in a different way. Um, anything else?
the farmer stuff just is emphasising, I think, that wisdom and that foolishness. They're behaving like fools. And the farmer who's wise sees the patterns of God's world. And he doesn't actually quote any of that text talking about foolishness and, you know, the, the you know, unintelligible idea of the time, right? Is it just talking about, you know, the Assyrian force coming to bring judgment upon the yeah, Israelites, yeah, right? Yeah. So is it still referring to other parts of the passage, even though they're actually not mentioned in the text of the New Testament? Yeah, I think mean, he'd have the whole thing in mind. Sure. Yeah, the whole, the whole what... Remember this... There's a reason why this part in particular is what's quoted, right? Well, let's, let's think about... Let's go back to 1 Corinthians at this point, and let's begin to kind of draw right. yeah, together yeah, yeah. and go, okay, well, in the last couple of minutes... Let's get. Let's kind of get the. Just let's just get the richness of this. Um, what is, what is Paul's kind of point? Maybe that he's he's trying to apply from Isaiah twenty-eight to one Corinthians fourteen. Is it the idea that tongues? Are a result of not of a group of people not listening to God. Like he talks about tongues being a sign for unbelievers, and that's yeah. very much what Isaiah is also pointing out. Yeah, signs don't yeah. have to be signs to convert you. Yeah, they can be signs that just condemn you. Yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. yeah. Mm. And then, of course, then the counterpoint is that's not what you should be looking for in the church. Yeah, because. You want to be listening to God. You want to be building up. And so prophecy is what you're after. You want yeah, to be hearing yeah. the voice of God. That's really helpful. So that's the switch is to go, well, what should have gone in Isaiah 28 is you should have been listening to God's word. You should have been listening to the prophecy, the clear word of God. <coughs> um, and so that's why he's like, be about prophecy, guys, because that's the clear word of God, which is you're in the New Testament. You're in a time of salvation and restoration. <coughs> you're not under a time of judgment. So don't use unintelligible language because what it does is it just further alienates and, and shows that mark of going, there's a, there's a distance between you and God. There's a judgment. There's a, there's a separation. What we want for the person who is um, not a Christian is prophecy because we want them to hear God's word clearly so why why is that not so that they go you're mental I'm walking out of here um, but actually that they can go I'm hearing what God's saying and now I'm falling down I'm worshipping <laughs> so um, he's trying to help them I think to see that um, tongues the use of tongues is not like cool and spiritual and mature and the way that you're going to show people God um, but actually prophecy is like that's what's going to build people up and, and, and grow people it's, it's both about um, communicating God's word <laughs> and intelligibility of God's word and unintelligibility um, of God's word um, and so he's reflecting on this and going don't, don't, don't kind of bring a time of judgement and when God's word was inaccessible and when people weren't listening to God's word properly um, like don't don't apply that in this setting because it's it's actually really unhelpful. Um, and we want those who are among us 
to hear God's word. It was times of judgment when people couldn't, and God isn't in, in that kind of time of judgment. Um, that's probably enough for today to give you an idea. But hopefully, um, this is all helpful in you and getting the richness of the text, drawing out more of what the actual faithful and right meaning of the text is. So going back to here, you can get the right thrust of what Paul is saying as you go back and spend time in this, reading it, but then also knowing out of these steps, how do I, how do I apply it correctly? So that, again, you're reading uh, what the author is saying faithfully and rightly, um, and you're hopefully a little bit better um, equipped to know how to engage with that with those who aren't Christian. And also just be a little bit more discerning when someone gets up and preaches or you read a book and they're like, boom, boom, boom. And you're like, no, I don't think we should be looking for the return of Jesus um, at this date because that's you've misunderstood that, that kind of verse. Uh, and hopefully will keep you from getting tied in knots um, in other passages as well. All right, so that's what to do with the New Testament use of the Old Testament. Let me pray and then let's go get some food. Heavenly Father, thank you for your clear word to us um, that um, we now do stand in a time of salvation and restoration and that it was your word going out to the world which would cause people to worship you, um, which is um, what Paul wants to see going on in Corinthians and what Isaiah was lamenting wasn't the case in his time. And so we ask that we would be people that would bring intelligible speech. We would announce your word to those around us. Um, And in our meetings, we would see those become Christians as we proclaim Christ and him crucified. And would you help us to, yeah, collect up these things well, get the details, um, and be those faithful handlers of your word um, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Right, so get some morning tea.